have been um, working through. Hang on just a second. Uh, Oh, there we go. Oh, no. Okay, folks, hang on. Ah, There we are. Good. We're going to continue our journey um, on the uh, uh, purpose-driven life. Um, We've been actually on this journey, believe it or not, right now we have about 160 people who are reading that devotional book um, and going through uh, those principles every day, learning a little bit more about it. We've got 11 small groups meeting a little over 100 people that are meeting every week in small groups to talk about it and to grow a little bit more. So far, we've looked at the idea that we laid the foundational principle that God created you. He loved you. And he um, created you for the first purpose that we talked about is the idea that he created you um, actually for you to love him. And we laid that as a foundation that we're to love the Lord of God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we laid out the idea that that's worship. And we spent the last week, those of us who've been in the small groups and going through the book and things like that, we're looking and focusing on this idea that the idea of worship is not something we just do on a Sunday morning. It's not something that we do when we have a devotional time. The idea of worshiping God, loving God, is something where we bring God into every single aspect of our life. Whether that be cleaning a shed or whether that be working in the workplace or whether that be taking care of our family, we bring God into every single aspect of our life. And so we talked about the idea that worship is a lifestyle. It is a way that we actually look at life. And then this morning, we're going to take it to the second step or the second level, and that's the rest of that verse, which says, um, and the second is like unto it, you'll love your neighbor as yourself. And we're going to talk about this idea that we were also created to belong together, to fellowship is the word that we're going to focus on. The idea that we were to be in in fellowship with each other, that we were to learn how to love one another, and that that's foundational to life, that we love God and that we love others. So this morning, I want to lay down a little bit of groundwork. I want to go back to the book of Genesis. I'm going to lay down a couple of Bible principles that we're going to look at, and then uh, we're going to jump into what this idea of fellowship, this idea of belonging, what it means. So we're going to start back in Genesis chapter 2, and here's what it says. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. Uh, I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. Whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, all the wild animals. But for Adam, there was no suitable helper found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and he closed up the place with the flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman, for she was taken out of man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Now then we get into chapter 3, and here's what it says. It says, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God, this is after the fall, among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called on the man, where are you? Now, don't get upset that, you know, God's like lost his first man. He, that's not the, what the passage is talking about. They were hiding from God. The reason they were hiding from God is because they had done something that separated their fellowship with God. Here's what I want you to understand when we look at this passage. 
God has created the world, and everything that he looks at, the text in, in, in Genesis says this, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. You see that phrase over and over and over again. And then the one thing that God says in his creation is not good is that man's living life as a solo journey. He said, I need to make someone to walk beside him in life. I need to make someone that he goes through life with. And one of the first things that you see in the creation, in the story about man is that man was created for a relationship. Man was created for fellowship. In this case, it was Eve. So you see, first of all, a relationship with God. That's what Adam has at the beginning. And then when God looks at Adam and he goes, you know what? You need someone to walk through life with. So he creates Eve and he brings them together because here's the concept that you see in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. Man was never designed to live life as a solo journey. From the very beginning with Adam, before sin even, God lays out this principle that Adam, you need somebody to go through life with. I cannot stress how important this is. We're in an agrarian culture. We have people who want to pride themselves on the idea of, I don't need anybody else to help me. I can do it on my own. Me included. Okay, I put in one of those light switches on Friday. It didn't work Friday night. So it didn't work Saturday morning. It was one of those automatic switch things. I kept getting more and more frustrated. And finally, last night, I looked at my wife and I said, I'm going to go get the instructions. <laughs> and sure enough, it says, oh, you got to do this. And I'm like, why didn't you just put a button on there to do that? Why do I have to hit this thing four time, for four seconds in order to do it? It doesn't make any sense. But we do that. It's like we pride ourselves on the idea we do life alone. But here's what you need to understand. When God designed us, he designed us to do life together. And it's a foundational principle for us. And when God decides that he has his family, his church, he intends for us to do life together. Not as a solo journey. So one of the things that you see, as you see this laid out, listen to 1 John 4. And so we know that we rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Now, whoever lives in love lives in God, and God lives in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, in this world, we are like Jesus. There's no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment, and the one who fears is not made perfect or not made mature in love. He says, look, you need to understand, this idea of love is foundational. This idea of love has to permeate. If you genuinely love God, if you genuinely following God, love is going to be a natural outgrowth of that. Listen to what Paul says in the book of Ephesians. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I'm the only way, the tr only truth, the only life. No one comes to the Father but by me. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you become part of the family of God. And it says this is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. In other words, one of the things that happened when you and I put our faith and trust in Christ, we are now part of, we are now brought into God's family. Now, when Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 1, you need to understand that there was a problem in the church of Ephesus. And it was a problem that you see throughout the New Testament, particularly in the early church. And here was the problem. 
a lot of Jewish people had put their faith and trust in Christ. And the Jewish people had this whole wealth of knowledge of the Old Testament. So they believed that we should take the Old Testament stuff and do that and become and be more righteous and be more holy and all of that. So they brought their Jewishness into their Christian belief. Here's a problem. As the gospel started to spread, Gentiles started to become Christians. People who didn't have that Jewish background, people who had pagan backgrounds even. And there was a big struggle in the church on what do we do with these Gentile people? Do we make them Jewish? Do we make them do all the Jewish things? Do we make them jump through the Jewish hoops? How do we handle these, these Gentile people, these non-Jewish people in the church? They put their faith and trust in Christ just like we did, but they, we need them to clean up a little bit. Okay? Listen to what Paul says when he writes to these people. So now, you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. That's what the Jews taught. That if you were Gentile, you were outside. You had to stay on the outside. You are citizens, along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Jesus Christ himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Paul basically looks at these people and he says, look, you got to understand, when the Gentiles put their faith and trust in Christ, then we're all just one big happy family. That was revolutionary because there was a big rift between Jews and Gentiles. And Jesus was saying, and Paul is teaching this to the churches, that look, when we come together, we come together. And we put that stuff aside. And that's the context of family. So, with that in mind, let's talk about some ideas in the New Testament. There are a number of metaphors, there's a number of analogies in the New Testament for what a church is, for what the family of God, for what the, the body of Christ is. The first is family. Um, we, you saw it here, you're part of God's family. Now, here's the problem. For some of you, when I say the church is like a family, you get excited because you had a great family. But there are some people here. When I say church is like family, you're like, <laughs> you know, if I had a choice, <laughs> um, you know, you don't know how messed up my family is. And so you, you have no frame of reference for how a family should function. And one of the things you'll hear us say here a lot is the idea that when you visit the first time, you're a visitor, the second time we'll make you family. And like I said earlier, you know, you ain't getting my chair the second time. Um, you, you have it the first time. But it's that concept. It's that idea that we're family. So we have the kids in the service. And the reason we have the kids in the service is because as a family, you have the kids in the, you know, I'm going to go home to lunch today, and I'm going to be surrounded by two two-year-olds and a six-year-old. And if you don't think that is a non-peaceful lunch, okay, it is chaos. It is chaos at times. Um, but that's okay. That's okay. It's, that, that's family. Family's messy. Um, family's loud. Family's obnoxious. Family's all of those kinds of things. The idea, though, is that Scripture says, look, God's church, God's people are like family. So, in fact, if you were down south, if you've ever been in a church down south, everybody's brother or sister. You know, well, brother so-and-so, you know, we had, you know, we had brother Jay up here this morning, and, uh, and sister Juanita was playing the piano for you. And, you know, 
that's the way. And they really do drive this idea home. And that's, that's what Scripture says. Look, when we walk in this building, we should be like family. Um, and yeah, it's going to get loud at times, and it's going to get a little bit um, obnoxious, and it's not going to rub you the wrong. And that's okay. It's family thing. A second idea is this, uh, well, let me go back to this family idea, because I'm uh, reminded of this this week. Um, my, dog, uh, my dog got into a fight with a raccoon uh, on Thursday morning. Now, the raccoon is dead, okay, because my dog killed it. But not before the raccoon got in a lot of damage. So I, like you, have text people, and we have different texts. I have a text for board members. I have a text for uh, the people we blow glass with. I have a text for our, our family, um, Aaron and, and Alex and Josh and JT and Gene. We have that. And then we have a, a text that, that takes our family and adds our other family outside of it and other people outside of it. So I have all these different groups in my phone. So I'm on, I'm on, my, way to, I'm on my way to the hospital to drop off Lulu and uh, so, so I text, I thought I was just texting Gene and Alex and Aaron and JT and Josh. But I clicked the wrong thing, so I text this bigger group. And um, all of a sudden, I start getting these response. Oh, sorry to hear about your dog, da, da, da. And I'm like, what did I do? And then I realized, oh. So I said, sorry, this was supposed to go to family. Oh. <laughs> I don't think it was 30 seconds. We are family. <laughs> and it's like, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. Because that's the way we have to function. That's the way we have to function. As we're family. Family is one of the analogies. Another one the Bible uses is a building. And it talks about the idea, and he even talked about it in this passage, that we're all connected together. One of my favorite pictures of when we were building this place is this. And anybody who was involved in the building of this building knows exactly what this is. These are all the blueprints for the building. And we laid them out on that table, and we had question after question. We go to the blueprints, try to figure out what bolt went where to bolt this all together. This is what the skeleton looked like when we followed the blueprints. Okay? It eventually all connected together like it was supposed to. All right? Here's the thing. The idea here is that it all connects together. We, we just couldn't pull up pieces and start bolting them together. Everything had its place, and it all connected together. And it's interesting that in this building, the more we added to it, the stronger it got. And it's the same way with the church. Paul says, look, you got to understand, we're a building, and we're all fitting together in different places, in different positions, in different um, roles, in different things, in order to be the church, the fellowship that God has put together. And so... The idea in the New Testament is a church is kind of like a building where everything's fit. It uses the idea of temple, but it's the idea of everything's kind of all fit together. He also talks about it being a body. And just like your body has different, there's different parts of your body that do different things. Every one of them is important. Uh, most of you know my story. I, I ended up with COVID in January of last year. One of the things I lost was my smell. Um, I'm now 15 months into having never smelled anything. So I cannot smell anything. So if I smell bad this morning, pff, somebody's got to tell me. Um, it has some advantages. Uh, I cleaned out a chicken coop last year and didn't notice a thing. Uh, it has some struggles. 
Uh, I had barbecue the other night, when brought it in, and somebody went, oh, that smells so good. I'm like, mm, tell me all about it. Um, because here's the thing. It's a little, I, I want to say it's a little thing, but I have a big nose, so it's not a little thing for me. But <laughs> it's a little thing, but it affects everything. And it's the same way when the church functions as a body. When we function together, then it works really, really well. And it's really, really healthy. But when one part of us struggles or one part of us hurts, it affects other people. It has a ripple effect, and that's the way it should be. He talks about it as a body. He talks about it as a building. He talks about it, Scripture talks about it as a, as a family. It also talks about it in the idea of a, a sheep, actually, a group of, of sheep. And, and as a pastor, we're, we're to watch, and, and the board, we're to watch over and care for the flock that God's entrusted to it. Um, you guys know this. You cattle people know this. When a storm's come, what do cattle do? They kind of all start to huddle together, and they find, why? Because they find protection in being close to the group. That's exactly the way the church should function. As we struggle, as we go through things, we kind of all come together, and we kind of get, get, get our, our bearings or, or, or whatever else. Um, it, there's a protection in being a part of a fellowship and being part of a church. Uh, another analogy, Jesus says this, I'm the vine, you're the branches. One of the things that you see inherent in, the, in that idea is that growth is expected. Now, when I thought about this, um, you know, Greg's got the, the, the greenhouse and, and all that, and I thought, okay, so what if Greg put a plant in there this year, and the purpose of the plant was to sit in the pot and it would never grow? So you say, okay, what am I buying? Well, for $10, I'm going to sell you this pot, and I've got a seed planted in there, but this seed is designed to never grow. And you take it home, and you set it on your windowsill, and every day you look at the pot that will never grow. You go, if he can sell that, he can sell anything. (laughs) No, you don't buy a plant, or you don't plant a seed with the expectation of not producing something. And that's what Jesus says. He says, look, you need to understand, part of being in the family of God, part of that is is you're like a vine. You're going to produce. You're going to do things. You're going to invite other people. You're going to be a part of it. There's going to be fruit evident from the idea that you're part of this. Another analogy uses the idea of a bride. You know how brides get when they're getting ready to get married, newlyweds? (sighs) Um, You know what I'm talking about. They're so excited, and they can't wait, and they just love the idea of being in love, and, you know, they have no clue, you know, <laughs> really, people have, people have no clue. Um, one of my favorite, I'm, I'm not a big wedding guy, honestly, um, I, you know, some people get, some pastors get really excited about weddings, I don't, I'm not one of them, uh, but I... Uh, what I do get excited about is when I get to do renewal services for people who've been married 40 or 50 or 60 years. Those are my favorite. Because when you look at them and go, richer or poorer? Yep. Sickness and health? Yep. You know, th- there's some meaning behind it at that point. Until then, it's all kind of like, yeah, sure, okay, yeah, whatever. And that, but, you know, when you talk about somebody who's been through the battle and, the, and, and, and weathered it all out, and they're going, yeah, I'd still do it all over again with you, honey. 
That's awesome. And so he uses these different analogies. So just think about it for a minute. You put just those together, and there's others, but those are just some highlights. You have a family that is connected together like a building. You have a group of people who work together and function like your body does when it's healthy. You have a group of people that protect each other, kind of like a shepherd. You have a group of people that tell others about their family. You have a group of people who love the idea of loving other people. That's what we call fellowship. That's what we call the church. That's what this place is supposed to be. That's what God desires for us to be as a church. We caught, there's a reason we, <coughs> there's a, there was an intentional reason when this church started. Again, I didn't have a part in this decision. For them to call it Holly Springs Bible Fellowship. Not church. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with church. But they wanted the focus to be fellowship. They wanted that to be central to who we are and what we did. And so we try to honor that in what we do. So we try not to, again, I'm not opposed to calling it a church, but our real focus is the idea that it's about fellowship. So you say, how do you, how do you play that all out? What does that look like? Okay, so here's what happens. First of all, you have to make a choice to be a part of it. It's just like salvation. And if you haven't figured it out yet, we'll take anybody. Really. Um, you know, um, we'll take anybody. Uh, one of the things that happened with my kids when they were dating and the boys, when they got brave enough, they would bring a girl to our house for dinner. And they understood, you know, I mean, they, I mean the preparation for bringing this girl to the house was huge. Because it's like, you got to understand, my dad is unfiltered. He will ask anything. He will say anything. He has no qualms about digging into your life. Um, and what's that? Run. Yeah, run. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I always tell him. Run now while you can. But, uh, you know, so, I, I mean, we have that analogy. And so what would happen is, and when they came over, I don't care who they were. I just adopted them like family. And I just treated them like family. Even to the point that after they broke up, I would still be friends with some of them. I remember Josh, he was dating one girl. They broke up. And he's sitting there having this discussion about, okay, I don't think we need to see each other anymore. You know what her first question was? Will your dad still do my taxes? <laughs> I said, sure, I'll do your taxes. I don't care. You know? But, I mean, that's where we were. It was like, why? Because it was that idea of you have to make the choice to be a part of it. And so many people come into church, and they think that church is a hot tub where you sit and soak. Well, I'm going to sit and soak, you know, feed me. Oh, I don't like the music. Oh, I don't like this. Oh, I wish you'd do this for me. Oh, I wish you'd do that. This is not that kind of place. It's not a hot tub. It's more like an Olympic pool or training you to go out into the world. That's what it is. And you have to make the choice to jump in with both feet. Well... Nobody's asked me. Oh, come on. Just jump in. Well, I'm just not. No, no, no. Jump in. Jump in. You only get out of life what you put into it. So jump in. And
and you get and, and you so you just simply say, you know what, I'm going to be a part of that. I'm going to show up every week and just see what happens. And you make it a priority to do that. Second thing, you've got to be honest. One of the things you'll find out very quickly, those of you in small groups are really figuring this out, uh, it's kind of raw and unfiltered. There's not a lot of pretense. There's not a lot of polish and spit and polish and night. everything's going to be nice and I can only say the right things and I can only... No, no, no. We want everybody to be real. You're going to read about that this week when we talk about this idea of authenticity. I don't want you to be a different person in here than you are out there during the week. They need to match. Um, and so we don't have a problem as you come in here. We want it to be real up close and personal. And what you're going to find in life is when you find a few people that you can do that with, you start to walk through life together. And when you can walk through life together, what you start to realize is that principle in Genesis that you weren't designed to carry it on your own. You need somebody to talk to. You need somebody to vent with. You need somebody who understands you. You need somebody who knows your story. You need somebody with you. Um, Proverbs says it this way. Um, I love this passage. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. You give me two people walking through life together, and here's the thing. It'll be better for both of them. You give me somebody who's struggling, who shares that struggle with somebody else, they'll both grow. Talk to some of these people who signed up a couple of months ago to do Sunday school. And they're in a, they are being stretched like no other. Walking there. Last year we had last week we had twenty one little kids in two rooms, um, and you know then they're being stretched and they're like you know and, oh and if that wasn't bad enough the video didn't work, so they were having to improvise and I'm like you guys get like the 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 teacher of the year award for making pulling this thing off we finally got it all working for them, but you know what it, it's one of those things where you engage you just start sharing and you start being open and you start being honest and I'm going to tell you right now that's hard. Because some of you have done that in the past and you've been burnt. And what I would say to you is just pick who you share with very carefully. When you're dealing with stuff in a small group, keep it in that small group. Build that trust and that, 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 that commonality. And one of the things that you start to do is you start to share. And what you find is the more that you start to share and the more honest you are with one another, you start to really grow and develop this incredible bond. Another idea is this idea that you've got to engage, you've got to find your spot. We're going to talk more about that in a couple of weeks. I don't know what part you are in the body. I, I don't know if you're a hand. I don't know if you're a, a foot. I don't know if you're an armpit. I, I don't know what part you have, but it's all important. Just like this building. I don't, you know, I don't know if you're a bolt or if you're one of the main rafters or if you're a foundation. I don't know what part you have, but God has a part for you. And part of your job is to figure out where you can serve, whatever that be. You know, one of the things that was so amazing is you go back, you know, we built, we've gone through two building projects. We've done all of them ourselves. We've done them debt-free. And we did them all together as a, as, as a group. And some of my favorite pictures are of some, we had, it was Earl Rose's mom. And one of my favorite pictures is with her and a broom. And here's what she figured out. I can't build stuff, but I know how to sweep. And she would come up, and she would sweep 
at the end of every day, she'd be up there sweeping and sweeping up. We'd make a mess, she'd sweep it up. We'd make another mess right behind her, and she'd sweep it up. And it's one of my favorite pictures because that's what it was. And, and I don't know, at the time, she's probably 80 years old. But she could sweep. That's what we're talking about. You jump in and you engage and you find your part, whatever part it was. The other idea is, that, is fellowship. Fellowship, and, and he's going to talk about this this week in a small group. It's that idea of koinonia, which, which has this concept of commitment, of this bond, of this connection. It goes far deeper than how's the weather. Um, and we don't want a how's the weather kind of church. Um, I love, you know, I mean, and again, it happened, it happened last week, you know, and I felt bad. But, you know, we still had people talking in the service. Everybody else walked out. I finally said, I finally had to turn the lights out. And I said, you guys can lock the door. I said, I just want the lights off before I walk out of the building. I love that. And I didn't want to bust it up. You know, and they're like, oh, we'll go, we'll go. And I'm like, no, I really don't want you to go. I just want the lights off. Um, you know, that's all I really wanted. And if I thought about it, I should have just left them on all week. I'd rather have them fellowshipping, you know. Because that's what's so, so important where we start engaging and we get, we experience life together. And we go through the highs of life when it's exciting and things are going well, and we go through the lows together. Where we weep and we cry and we pour our hearts out to each other. Because see, here's what happens. The church is an incubator for love. And when we as a church can learn to love each other unconditionally, when we can learn to walk in this building and put aside all of our stuff, doesn't matter what, how you voted, we can all put that aside. It doesn't matter how much money you make or how much money you don't make, we put all that aside. It doesn't matter whether you're old or young, we put all of that aside. And we just focus on loving each other as we are encouraging and helping one another. When we do that, here's what happens. The world that knows nothing of that, because they live in fear and paranoia, and love is not a part of it. They have to try to manufacture love. Because, again, we talked about this. Perfect love drives out fear. So when we can love each other like we should, the world stands back and notices that. And they can't argue against it. They can't argue about it. They sit there and say, I don't understand how those people, you know what? And that's the one thing I want people to say of us. The one thing that is so true is that we love each other here. You know what? You may not like my preaching style. They may make fun of us because of what we believe. They may do all kinds, they can say all kinds of things. But the one thing I don't want them to be able to say is we don't love and care for each other. Because that's what the church should be. When the world looked at the disciples, as kooky as they thought they were, they say, you know one thing that's true about them? They love each other. And as we start to engage in loving God, we learn to love other people. And as we learn to love a fellowship, our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we show that, the world will notice. You were made to love God. Make sure you have that relationship. You were made for fellowship. Make sure you belong to God's family. We're the ones who are going to show the world what love looks like. So this week, before you walk out of this building, here's what I want you to do. 
I want you to let someone know that you love them and you'll be praying for them this week. So my prayer is this. You are created to love God's people, his family. God created you to belong and fellowship with his family. The church is a place to learn how to love people as they are and work together to be what Christ intends us to be. We don't go through life as a solo journey. We walk through life together, loving each other as Christ loved us. That's our purpose. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Use us. It's easy, Lord, to focus on us. Lord, it's easy to make it about me. But Lord, help us to make it about the person sitting around us. Help us to make it about other brothers and sisters in Christ who we don't know what they're going through. That Lord, before we walk out of this building today, we have encouraged them. And as we go throughout this week, that we encourage and build up one another. And Lord, I pray that as the world watches, they would be able to see the love, the concern, the burden that we have for our brothers and sisters in Christ, and that, Lord, you would use that for them to be able to see the love that you have for them. These things we ask in your name. Amen.